0: Well, uh, talking of housing, uh, last year, Laura and I moved into a different house, and when we went to see it for the first time, we noticed outside the back door there was this brick raised hexagonal area. It looked a little bit like this, but it wasn't quite like this yet because it was covered in brambles and weeds and mess. As I saw it, I had this sort of vision in my mind. And the vision was, with all the grocery prices that we have to face and the environmental crisis and all that, I was thinking, wouldn't it be awesome if we could like, grow some things there, have our own little good life project? Um, and so in the middle of the summer last year, we, we set to work. But before we actually ever managed to do anything good, this was Laura and I just throwing some things in, um, we, we realized we didn't really know what we were doing. Um, and so last summer, nothing grew. I mean, nothing grew. I threw the seeds in. I threw some water on. I stood there and I waited and, like, nothing. Um, But last winter, Ben Ellis, the green-fingered wonder that is Ben Ellis, uh, came over to our house, and with Laura and I, we we dug over the soil, and we dug over the soil, and we planted seeds, and to our astonishment, after we would put a soaker hose in, and we put the manure in, which stunk really badly, and we put the tomorite on, and we measured out all the seeds, and we waited, amazingly, to our shock. And it was a shock. Suddenly, things like started to grow in our, in our backyard. In fact, after a few months, we actually had so much growth that it looked a bit like this one. This was like seven foot tall, no longer could you see out the back door of the house anymore. Um, and, and if you came to church last summer, you probably wondered, why are there like tomatoes everywhere? And why is all this stuff being left around in the lobby? And the reason was because actually there were so many things like blooming out of the backyard. Um, I genuinely couldn't believe it. We thought we had stumbled onto a new secret way to start our own Ralphs, it was amazing. Now, Laura and I are very much amateurs, it would be fair to say, in the game of real-life gardening and producing crops, but there is something beautiful and astonishing, as we've even celebrated this morning in different ways, about seeing growth, about seeing physical growth, about seeing physical life transformation but also about being people of God, Christians who grow, the kind of people who bear fruit in our lives. And so that's what we're gonna talk about for a few minutes this morning. Now, let me ask you a question. If someone was to say to you, like, what does it mean to be a Christian? Technical question. Give me just a few concepts that you would like respond with. Don't give me a testimony. Just give me some concepts. Shout out believer in Christ. Any more? Belief. Follower of Jesus. Anything else? Saved from hell. Go for it. Okay. <laughs> um, Any more? Oh, loving your neighbor. Sorry, one over here. Forgiveness. For having forgiveness. Yeah, we could talk about lots of different things. But it's interesting if you look particularly in the book of Luke that one of the overriding pictures that we see and we've seen it over and over again as we've been going through is the idea of being a citizen of the kingdom of God. That there is this idea that there is space and time and dominion over which God rules. Where God's values, where God's justice, where God's desires, where God's passions, where the things that God wants to see happen do happen. And that therefore, in Jesus' language, to be a Christian is actually to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. To be a citizen of this kingdom which Jesus says is both here, it started the day that Jesus arrived on the earth 2,000 years ago, but will one day find its fulfillment in what we call heaven. But to be a Christian now is to live within that kingdom, with all of its privileges, With all of its benefits, with all of the life that comes with it, but also with all of its responsibilities. Now, in Jesus' time, like everybody was up for a new kingdom who was Jewish, they were desperate for it. Like they were desperate that the Romans would get kicked out, that the Jews would get reunited into a new kingdom. But their idea of the kingdom was like radically different to what, what Jesus had in mind. You remember, like a couple of weeks ago, John the Baptist bring in the military. Um, We also had like the, the Pharisees, bring back the law. We have the disciples at different times going like, oh no, we need political solutions or we need financial solutions or practical solutions. And yet time and time again, Jesus paints a different story, a different picture of the kingdom. A kingdom which Tim Keller brilliantly sums up is this. He says, the kingdom is nothing less than the power of God in heaven, Think about that, the power of the eternal God who flung stars into space, entering into the world to heal every alienation, every brokenness in every area of human life, whether it's social or economical or physical or rational or emotional or psychological or spiritual or probably anything else. It is the things that God longs to be true of all eternity, which we talk about in heaven, the things that were true once upon a time in the Garden of Eden, that he longs to bring those to bear again into the created order. That that story involves healing, no more sickness, no more brokenness, the housing of the homeless. It brings the salvation and the forgiveness of the sins. It brings the restoration of the relationship between God and human. And it goes on and on and on, kicking out the darkness, kicking out evil, and bringing his new story into the world. And so therefore, in that idea, to be a Christian is to see yourself live within as a citizen of the kingdom of God. And I love it. I love it because it's bigger. It's bigger than just having your sins forgiven. It's bigger than just avoiding um, hell. It's bigger than the idea that you can have just a Jesus in your heart. It goes to everything, and it goes to everywhere. And so we're going to read a really famous story that Jesus has to tell about what it means to be a citizen of that kingdom. And we're going to read from Luke chapter 8, and it's the parable of the sower. So um, we've got Diane somewhere. Who's going to come up? There she is. And she's going to come and read. And if you've got your Bibles, beginning of Luke chapter 8, if you haven't got your Bibles, it'll be up um, on the screens in front of you.
1: After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. While a large crowd was gathering, and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, He told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others, I speak in parables so that though seeing, they may not see through though hearing, they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so they may not believe and be saved. Those on rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches and pleasures and they do not mature but the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word retain it and by preserving produce a crop
0: okay thank you now we're going to go through this but just before we do quick little point did anybody notice the first couple of verses of that parable the women did anyone notice that Not just one, not just two, not just on the fringes of the story, but all of these women undergirding, supporting, bringing the kingdom to bear, right? Financially independent leaders, Jesus's inner circle, creating this space where the kingdom can flourish. Not the point of the sermon, but just needed to say that, okay? Very important product. amen, like that's an amen moment, it's an amen. Okay, so Jesus tells this story in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, almost identical, it's one of the only stories that gets told three times with almost no change whatsoever, which means it's really, really important, and it speaks to the way that this kingdom we're speaking about takes root in lives and grows in the world, and the first thing we notice, which is really surprising, is that this kingdom comes, Jesus says, through hearing, now, most kingdoms in the world do not come through hearing. They come through speaking. You think about like having a charismatic leader, someone who is good at speaking, someone who is good at casting vision, someone who's good at gathering other people around themselves so that they can gain power, so that they can get what they want, so that they can rule. Either by like a democratic process or an autocratic process, they gain authority because they know how to speak well. And then a citizen, of course, in an earthly sense, would be somebody who lives in that place, right? I mean, if you, were, if you were in an ancient kingdom where someone like Alexander the Great turned up, you would know that you were part of the kingdom of somebody like that because you were in that physical space. Maybe you were born there, maybe you grew up there, maybe you lived there. If Alexander the Great or someone like that turned up in your neighborhood to bring their kingdom to bear, really, you had like three choices. One, be part of his kingdom. Two, leave very quickly. Or three, die. That was really all, all the options you had. You would know if you were part of Alexander the Great or Roman Empire's kingdom because their military would enforce it. Their laws would regulate it. Their tax would fund it. Now, you might like, hope that there were some benefits for being in the kingdom. It might just be that you're not dead. But in reality, it's not a choice if you're there, it's automatic, you're part of it. But Jesus says his kingdom is totally different. It's totally different. It is about hearing. It's about listening. It's about hearing in the truth and choosing whether you want to respond to it. Jesus says, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. It's not forced. It's not automatic. It doesn't matter where you were born. It doesn't matter what family you grew up in. It doesn't matter what nationality you are. It's something you have to respond to in a very deliberate way. And Jesus says that this kingdom, it's like a seed. The seed, which is the gospel, the good news, the evangelion, like the trumpeter's sounding. In comes the new kingdom. And interestingly, Jesus says, this kingdom will be proclaimed to the ends of the earth like a farmer scatters seed. It's not even a question if it's going to happen. It's that it is going to happen through the church, through the work of the Holy Spirit. The kingdom will be scattered out. But what seems to really matter to Jesus is not that the kingdom goes out, the good news goes out, but what people choose to do with it. This is the crux of the matter for Jesus. So let me ask you another question. Where did you first hear the good news of the gospel the good news of Jesus? Shout quick shout outs go for it. School excellent. Parents, church. Camp, youth camp, kids camp. Work. Wow, I don't know where you work. Awesome. 90 uh, Six percent, 94, sorry, 94% of children, of of Christian adults, give their life to Jesus before they're 18. It's it's interesting that a lot of your answers were the same as that. People hear the good news of Jesus, but what do we do with it? And that seems to matter. Now, Jesus gives these four examples, and we're going to go through these four stories. But as we go through, this is what we always do with parables, which is ask this question. Where am I? Who am I? What has Jesus got to say to me? Because it's not supposed to be theoretical. It's not supposed to be an argument. It's supposed to be things that root into our hearts. So, these four examples we're going to go through and find out which one, if not more than one, which we feel like might apply to us. So, the first group of people, Jesus says, are like those who are along a path. It's a hard path, it's a tough path the seed falls, but it's trampled on and the birds eat it up. Verse 12, Jesus explains what he means. He says, those along the path are the ones who hear, but then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be see, saved. So here's the gospel, right? This good news, the truth of the kingdom, the good news that the kingdom has come. It comes to a person, but it does not penetrate their lives. Maybe it's like up here at kind of like surface level. Yeah, God is kind of real. That makes sense. Oh, yeah, maybe Jesus was a real person. Oh, yeah, maybe that's important truth somewhere out there in some sort of sense of morality. But it cannot get past that logical sense of right and wrong to the very place where the seed needs to get to, which is a person's heart why? Because it is taken away by the devil. Fascinating, right? What causes salvation to happen is the work of the kingdom. What stops the work of the kingdom happening is the work of the devil. It is spiritual warfare. Like We talk about that when we're praying for Alpha every single week. We're like, Lord, it's not about dinner. It's about the warfare in the kingdom. It's about destinies. We're praying that your kingdom would come and that the kingdoms of darkness would recede so that that kingdom, the truth, the good news would get past our logic and get into people's hearts because that's what it means to enter in. Um, I found this brilliant quote this week from Bono, the lead singer of U2, genius, right? He says this, when he was a young person, he said, suddenly the Bible held me wrapped. The words stepped off the pages and they followed me home. I found more than poetry in the Gothic King James script. I was first up when there was an altar call, come to Jesus moment, and I still am today. If I was in a cafe today and someone said, stand up if you want to give your life to Jesus, I'd be the first to my feet. I took Jesus with me everywhere I went then, and I still do today. Right? What Bono discovered as a young person was not just that it's abstractly true that God is real and Jesus died, but that it was true for him truth suddenly had a name on it, and his name was Jesus, and it involved him. You know, when I discovered, really, as a young boy that Jesus loved me, it suddenly was like the whole world transformed, because everything changed, because my life was not about a logical determination of truth. It was about the fact that Jesus loved me and wanted to walk through life alongside me. But this group Jesus says, sadly, this group can't get past their heads. They can't get past their logic. The devil takes it away. There's no salvation. They have a hard heart. Group one. Group two the seed falls on dry, dead, rocky ground. Some fell on the rocky ground, Jesus says, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. And he explains it in verse 13. Those on the rocky ground are like the ones who receive the word with joy, and when they hear it, they have no root. They believe for a while, but in time of testing, they fall away. So this group is kind of different. The good news of Jesus arrives in their life. It gets past their logic. It gets into their heart, and it says that they receive it with joy. Like there's this excitement. Oh, yeah, Jesus, like we're all up for you. Maybe it's like a conference. Maybe it's like a church gathering. Maybe it's a youth group. They're like, yeah, we're all in. We love the idea of being a Christian. It says that they're like all in, except that there's no roots in their life. They're not rooted into the kingdom. And so that when the heat comes, when the sun bakes down on them, like the plants I tried to grow two years ago, they just wither and they die Because actually, they're not interested in rooting into the truth, the reality of the kingdom. They're more interested in what they can get out of Jesus. I don't know if you've ever had people like this that you know, but I know many who are like, yeah, Jesus, we're all in if you are going to give me all that I want. It's like Santa on steroids. Like, Jesus, if you're going to give me the good relationships, if you're going to give me the job I've always dreamed of, if you're going to fund my lifestyle, if you're going to help me get the spouse I've always dreamt of, then, Jesus, I am all in. Like the, kind of, like the, the sports star who scores the points or the goals and lifts their hands to heaven like, yes, come on, blessing. But when life starts to go wrong, when difficulty, when hardship, when the sun bakes down on their lives and suddenly they lose those things, Everything falls away because, in fact, they were never really wanting to enter into God's kingdom. They wanted God to enter into their kingdom. They wanted God to fuel and fund their life. They never really worshipped Jesus. Actually, they worshipped these other things who they expected Jesus to fuel, but the things withered and they passed away. So let me get you thinking a minute. What are those things, if you call yourself a Christian for us, what are those things where we go, yeah, Jesus, we're all in for you as long as. As long as. We'll follow you anywhere as long as you do the following for me. This is my choice. Now, it can be quite hard to figure that out because, as the great theologian Joni Mitchell says, don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you've got until it's gone? <laughs> It's hard to know, but those things can be real for us. Uh, a few weeks ago, I had to go for my my annual physical, 40th year annual physical. I was like dreading it. I thought, what are they gonna do to me? And so I went to my doctor's office and you sit, you sit in this doctor's office and they give you this massive form to fill out. And you're just sitting on your own, and you have to like fill in you know, your height, your weight, you know, your, your age, all of which you didn't have to write the numbers that you did, but you do. And you write it all out on what you had for breakfast, and then it gets to that kind of like place like, what did, do you smoke? No. Do you vape? No. And then it's like, do you drink alcohol? Yes, sometimes. Okay, so you fill in, and you have to like add it all up and fill in the amount of alcohol. And then the next question comes, which is so unfair. Do you ever think you should drink less alcohol? we like, that's not a fair question. It's not a fair question because either you answer yes, in which case the doctor is gonna walk in and say, you have an alcohol addiction, Mr. Chase. Or you have to say no, in which case the doctor will walk in and say, you're in denial, you have an alcohol addiction, Mr. Chase. And so I literally started writing down the side margin of the page trying to explain myself as to why I thought that I didn't have an alcohol, this is terrible. Fortunately, the doctor walked in and looked at them and was like, oh no, you're fine, you're okay, no, no, no addiction there. But it did get me thinking, like, what are the things in my life, like, whatever level, which I am actually addicted to, which I actually have to cling to. I came away from the doctor realizing that coffee might be the problem. And for the last two weeks, I've been, like, trying to get off coffee, and I've had a headache because I've been trying to get off coffee. Why? Because I'm actually, like, intrinsically, can't, like, I'm adi- I am addicted to, like, caffeine. And I'm now not because I've gone through that process. But I wonder if we have other things which are not coffee or a substance which we are addicted to. The things where we're like, God, we're okay with you unless you take this away. Unless you take this away, in which case we're no longer okay with you. You I've got got friends who were like, we're all in for you, Jesus. But then something went wrong and then they're like, actually, we're not in for you at all. I've got other friends who, when the stuff went wrong, went, this is okay because actually now I am closer to Jesus because all of those things were getting in the way of me and Jesus. But I wonder, what are those things? What are those things? See, the problem of this group of people is that they think that they're sufferers in need of a solution when actually they are sinners in need of a savior. They have a shallow heart, not a hard heart, but a shallow heart. Group two, Group three, have a divided heart. So verse seven, other seed fell among the thorns which grew up, but it choked them. Now this is really fascinating because this group do become Christians. They do enter into the kingdom and like the picture on the screen, life starts to flourish, blooms out of their stories. But... They're choked, choked by the things that surround them. Verse 14, the seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they don't mature. In a sense, there's like this division problem going on. On one hand, they're like, yeah, come on, God, we're all in for it. Whatever you want, we're going for you. You get the best. We're going for it. Like, we're everything you want, we're in for it. But on the other hand, the world, all of the things around them chokes them, grabs them, has a hand around their neck, pulling them back away from the kingdom. And just notice the things that Jesus pulls out. And he did this 2,000 years ago in, in Judea. And yet, the things he says, the biggest problems are what? Life's worries, riches, and pleasures. Oh my goodness, could that be written over like Los Angeles in 2022, right? Life's worries, life's riches, and pleasures. And the problem is, is that it means we are divided, half hearted, half in for the kingdom, half in for the world, or as the book of Revelation says, we are like lukewarm, lukewarm. And you know, I was just thinking about this week, I was thinking, could this be the one which is the biggest challenge we face as Christians? In this this generation, I mean atheism yes that 's a, a deal, but prosperity gospel kind of messed up theology yes that 's a deal that 's a problem too, but this one, this idea of God having everything and not just being choked by the world, could this be the one that really hurts and we find difficult and I started to like draw it out, and so i 've got some slides to show you of just some doodlings I did and, and I started with this kind of idea that that, like we talked about a few weeks ago often our lives are full of boxes right you know in an ideal world you know we have our lifestyle we have our finances we have our relationships we've got our career we've got our relationship with jesus you know media you can add any number of boxes you want and all of those are us or we see them as ourselves and out of which we live within the culture the world that we live in around us but the problem is, is that increasingly, and it's not just a question of culture, it's a question of like what's going on statistically, is that Jesus is kind of pushed out of the question, right? I mean, we live in a space and time right now where your lifestyle is so important, your finances so important, your relationships so important, your career so important, your choices are so important, but Jesus is kind of like on the edge. He's like not, not really important. But the result is actually something different that happens, because this is kind of like leaving Christianity behind. But actually, what I notice is that more and more, what we actually do is this next slide, which is instead of just knocking Jesus out of the park, instead, we redefine him. We redefine him within our culture, right? Oh, Jesus, we love all the things that you're about that agree with our lifestyles. Oh, Jesus, if you're going to sort out my financial position and your view on blessing, like I'm in. Jesus, if you're going to help me in my personal career goals or the kind of relationships that I have or the political views that I hold or the media that I want to watch or the the friendship groups I want to have or the kind of shopping I want to do or the places I want to travel with, then we're okay with you. But if you don't fit in our box, if you don't agree with our culture... If you don't agree with society's view of what you should be like, then actually we're going to redefine you into the kind of Jesus we actually like the sound of. And what we do is we reduce him down. We reduce him to fit our lifestyle choices or our financial decisions or our career or our relationships or our views of morality or how we think that the world should operate from our vantage point. The problem is, is what Jesus says this morning, is that that is not what it means to live in God's kingdom. That's what it means to get God to live in our kingdom. And all that we eventually do is we just reduce Jesus down to some nice moral teacher from 2,000 years ago who agrees with us on everything we already believe. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. The danger, Jesus says, is you end up with a divided heart. And fascinatingly, he tells you what the outcome of that is if you do that. He says the, for the first two groups, they just leave Christianity behind altogether The third group, they stay, but they are miserable. They're miserable. They're anxious. There's no fruit in their lives. There's no healing. There's no power. There's no transformation. There's no huge, beautiful things that are being created. Instead, what are they? They are anxious because they are being pulled in two completely separate directions. God has so far less than the whole picture. That's why Paul makes that warning in Romans 12 when he says, Do not conform to the patterns of this world. I wonder, church, what's choking you? What's choking you? What's grabbing you? What's pulling you back? What's pulling you away from God? What's pulling you towards the kingdoms of darkness? But here's the good news. Don't need to go home feeling sad. Because Jesus says, here's what it's supposed to look like. Here's the fourth group. And the fourth group is good soil. Don't we all want to be good soil? I'm sure I do. Still other seed, Jesus says, verse 8, fell on good soil. It came up and it yielded a crop a hundred times more than that that was sown. If you want to grow... If you want your life to mean something, if it, what you want your life to matter and be part of God's kingdom, which is arriving and is yet to fully arrive on earth, then the invitation is to be good soil. Now, you might nod and inwardly think, what does that mean? It's like, what is good soil? Well, here's a few little quick thoughts that Jesus gives us on what it means to actually be the good soil. The first is this. You are soil, not seed, and not the gardener. Just notice that. The problem with all of these situations is that, in the first instance, that it's rocky. That there's, there's a problem. Like there's too much debris in the ground. In the second instance, the problem is that there's too many thorns in the environment around that are choking. And yet, soil can't actually do anything about that, really. I mean, soil can't remove stones from itself. Soil can't remove weeds from the ground. Soil can hinder the process. I've got soil in my front yard, which is so hard, doesn't matter what gardener you put in there and what tool they have, they're not going to get anywhere near it because it's just too dry. But the soil can't change anything, really. It can only hinder. What transforms is the gardener. And the gardener is God. The gardener is God. If you look at your life and you're like, like, I just have so much mess. Like I've got stones, I've got weeds, I've got addictions, I've got fears, I've got anxiety, I've got family problems, all those things, and you're like, I've tried everything, I just can't fix myself. Of course you can't, because only the gardener can do that painstaking, long work of transforming the soil into a beautiful gardener. So the invitation is, number two, receive the seed of the kingdom into your life and the work of the gardener. See, the seed is scattered. If you're here this morning, it's arrived at your doorstep. And the invitation is to allow the seed into your life and the work of the gardener alongside it. Now, if you're not a Christian here this morning, you might be like, oh, that's okay, Ben, but I don't have all the answers. I don't know how it all works. I I don't know how to read the Bible really well. I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to do this. I don't know all these different things. And yet, that's not a problem because all Jesus says is just open up your life to the work of the seed of the gospel. Open up your life to the work of the gardener and he will do the rest. He will do the beautiful transforming work. Receive the seed of the kingdom. Thirdly, stay there. Stay there with the gardener. You know, in in instant gratification culture world that we live, we kind of expect that if we do the right thing, immediately everything's gonna get better, right? When I planted my seeds a year ago, I was like, great, day two, where is it? (laughs) Where's the Trader Joe's in my backyard? And the answer was, not there yet. You have to wait. And you notice, over and over again, Jesus speaks of this idea of like gradual transforming work. You know, human kingdoms come like boulders. They crash in, they political, they transform the world outside. They, they, they don't necessarily transform from the inside. And yet the seed... Comes in quietly. It comes in gently. It comes in from the inside to the outside. It's gradual and organic growing, but it transforms the land. It transforms life into a garden or a forest. It rechannels what was there before into a life giving power that brings long term transformation and life giving quality. That's what Jesus longs to do with your life and with mine. He longs to bring that long term transformation. Now, as charismatics, often we want it like now. We're like, give us a worship moment, and Jesus is going to transform our lives, and everything will be better. And sometimes it does work like that. But most of us would tell you that the work of becoming a citizen of the kingdom is a long-term process of allowing the gardener to transform your life. Over and over, bringing yourself into the presence of God through prayer, through worship, through each other, because we're not supposed to be just single trees in the middle of deserts. We're supposed to be a garden of beautiful, flourishing life. It's to pray and go deep in, in the world. And that's the invitation of the kingdom, is to go deep with the gardener, to go deep in seed. And the result, Jesus says, is this sort of fourth slide that I made a minute ago, which is this, is that the kingdom will come. The kingdom will come and what's beautiful about it is that when the kingdom comes, it's not our lifestyle and our finances and our career and our relationships and our media and our politics and anything else that define the kingdom and our lives. It is that Jesus' kingdom, his good, perfect, beautiful kingdom redefines everything else in a new, fantastic, better, more life-giving, less anxious way. And it is absolutely incredible. And so I'd love to pray. Um, And then Tom's going to lead us.